Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Brian Down. I'm on the board here and have been hanging around for a long time. I used to be on staff at the Christian school. And uh, the most fun I have in life is, is teaching scripture. <laughs> may tell you something about me, but anyway. The idea of let's go is it expects movement. It expects change. And last week we, we looked at one of the values uh, being Jesus-centered. The week before that, Steve started the series with uh, encouraging us to have relationships, and it's in relationships that these things happen. And the last week, he went through Scripture showing us the need to be Jesus-centered, not idea-centered or doctrine-centered or activity-centered, but Jesus, the person. And that value states the good news of Jesus Christ is everything to us. We want everyone to know it. And that last statement's important, but it doesn't mean we want to cram it down people's throats. If we could get, yeah, there we go. We want everyone to know it. We want everyone to know it because of how we are transformed. We want people to be attracted to the work of God in our lives. So we want people to know it not because we're going to convince them, but because we're going to serve them with the Spirit of God. And this week we move on to growing. Our statement for growing says we're committed to biblical teaching that builds community and transforms lives. We stick it out, resolve conflict, and grow toward maturity together. This is our next step. We want this. And it, it's important. We look at redeeming the time lost over the pandemic, and we consider what God wants of his church, the things that we should be doing and maybe shouldn't be doing, the things that we should be reaching for and maybe letting go of. And so when we focus on growing, we're saying this is the core, that all of our activities and interactions should be based on spiritual growth, not some measure of Christian entertainment or just keeping people off the streets, but growing towards God, letting God grow in us. That is our next step. When we look at it this morning, we're going to start with an old guy named Apollos. We're going to learn from our brother. Apollos was a great guy. We hear about him in Acts chapter 18. It tells us that a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Great. Though he only knew the baptism of John. Let's get a map, sort of, of his life here. He's from Alexandria, down in Egypt, as you can tell, a city founded by Alexander the Great when he was conquering the world. But because of its location, it also became a very important seaport, became very wealthy, and because it was very wealthy, they had time to do other things. And it became a learning center, not just for Egypt, but for the whole Mediterranean world. Important Jewish writers were living in Alexandria, not Jerusalem. Great Greek thinkers were in Alexandria, not Jerusalem. So it is this, it's the whatever city's important to you, New York, L.A., Bombay, I don't, I don't know, but it's the place to be. And he leaves there and he goes up to Ephesus, up there in the purple, modern-day Turkey. And Ephesus was an incredibly important city. It had uh, a temple to Artemis which was listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
It had a huge library like Alexandria. It had a huge theater that seated 24,000 people. It was a center of learning and intellectual activity. Apollos is not a country bumpkin. He's not coming in off the farm, just learn how to read. Like, this guy's a thinker. He's from cultures of thinking. And he knows the Jewish scriptures, again, because there are a lot of great synagogues in Alexandria. Let's go back to that chapter, that section of Acts 8, and look at two key things at the bottom. He taught accurately the thing concerning Jesus. He wasn't just teaching Moses and the law. He actually understood the role of Messiah. He understood the importance of Jesus coming. And he could teach from the scriptures who Jesus was and what he had done. But notice the last phrase, he only knew the baptism of John in his own life. Now, John was a great guy. He was a, an amazing revivalist. His ministry, although he didn't seem to travel a lot that we know of, but his ministry spread beyond Galilee and Judea. In the book of Acts, there's a few places where they run into disciples of John. He's got a denomination in his name. But his message was quite simple. His message was repent and try harder. Stop doing bad, do more good. That was a common thing of all the Old Testament prophets. Get back to doing the right stuff. But the amazing thing about John is he knew and he said, this is my job, but it's, I'm just getting ready for somebody else. I, you know, I'm, just, I'm just making a path for someone else to enter. Even John knew that the idea of feeling bad for your sins and trying to do harder wasn't enough. So what we see in, in, in John's ministry really is a concentration of the entire Hebrew Scriptures, the entire Old Testament. Try harder, you're going to fail, repent. Try harder, you're going to fail, repent. And this theme builds that, yes, there's a wonderful standard that God has given us, and no, we can't do it. No matter what perfect environment God creates for us, we still can't do it. We can't use obedience of the law to reach God. Apollos needed the next step. So the story goes on in Acts 18. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, which was risky, because he's talking about Jesus in the synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now I love this couple. They pop up occasionally in the book of Acts. And I don't know if you noticed, but it's always the wife's name first. That's kind of unusual. But from the stories, we get the idea that Priscilla was really the teacher and Aquila was carrying the luggage or something. Anyway, so I, I, this is going to be great. I, I can't wait to sit down with this couple to hear their stories. But here, here they go. Priscilla and her husband take him aside and they explain to him the way of God more accurately. In other words, they're going to tell him it's not enough just to feel bad for your sin and try harder. There's more. Carrying on then. When he wished, uh, when he wished to cross to Achaia, which is southern Greece, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. Not through their efforts had achieved. Not through striving had gotten better, but those who, through grace, 
had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now, in the Brian Down expanded version, there's another word added in there. He powerfully refuted the Jews and the Christians in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. The issue that he had with the Jews at the time was who are you? Are you followers of the law or sons of God? Now, this, this was a difficult issue. The Jews loved the scriptures. They, in, in their history, they had suffered greatly because their people had walked away from the scriptures. Their country had been destroyed and evaded. They'd gone into captivity because they were not obeying the law. So obeying the law was really important. But understanding the law is even more important, and the law tells us the story of Jesus as well. We're going to look today mostly at Romans 8, but let's start at Romans 7. Romans 8 starts with a therefore, so whenever there's a therefore, you always got to figure out what it's there for. So Romans 7 is all about this difference, these two things that seem so similar but are actually opposites. He says, we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Huh. So chapter 7, he's talking about the idea that we have died to the law. In the sense that we cannot obey the law in such a way that we would please God, be equal to God, be able to enter God's presence. Something else has to happen. And he says it is the new way of the spirit and not the old way of a written code, any written code, any doctrine statement, any church vision statement even, isn't really what saves us. Okay, so we get to chapter 8. One of, I think, the most famous verses, at least since the Reformation, Chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, he's just talking about condemnation under the law. The law is a set of rules that you can't do, so you're condemned. But we're not under the law now. We're in Jesus, and so he's saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your sins, past, present, and future, they're already taken care of at the cross. You are a child of God. There's nothing left to earn. There's nothing to prove to God. Remember the prodigal son who left home, took what he could get from the family, the money, and then never in that story did he stop being a son of his father. And even though he thought of somehow reconnecting as a servant or something, when he gets home, he realizes all he needed to do was get back to communing with his father. That relationship still existed. He was always a son, but he needed to act like it and allow his father to be his father. And so we move on then. The law of the spirit of life sets you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. Now let's be careful. We're not pointing fingers. It's not an us against them. The written law was and always will be a perfect demonstration of God's character. It's a beautiful thing. 
There's wonderful things in the Psalms about the beauty of the law and how it changes us and how it restores us and feeds us. The law is not bad. The problem with the law is me. The problem with the law is you. It's human flesh. The law is not enough. Trying harder is not enough. So what God has, God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. The law couldn't change me. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Paul likes words. And he likes long sentences sometimes. I think he's part German. And he just goes on and on sometimes. And we go, what, 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 what? It's okay to do that. It's okay to not understand every word. Well, you know, we're growing, we're learning. But notice Paul underlines the solution. Paul is a great Hebrew scholar. He knows the traditions and the laws, and he has met Jesus. And he understands that it is the sending of the Son. When God sent Jesus, when the Son of God became one of us, that was the turning point. Partly because Jesus himself did live the law. He lived in perfect communion with his Father at all times. That was the purpose of the law, wasn't it? To be with God. So if he had just come and lived, it would have been enough to show us that, wow, one person can do it. How come I can't? But he goes deeper than that because Jesus then, in flesh like us, presents himself as a sacrifice to eradicate the, the, the results of sin, to accept on him what we deserve. Because of our weakness. Some sin's intentional, some sin's not intentional, some sin's we don't even know that we did it. It doesn't matter. Because there's no condemnation anyway in Christ Jesus. Because he set himself up as the perfect human. And then the only one who didn't need to die, he gave himself. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What was the righteous requirement of the law? Not just being good, being godly, being holy. That's what the law said it was trying to do, even though the humans couldn't do it. The righteous requirement of the law is made possible through Jesus. He can make us good enough to know our Father and commune with our Father and live forever with our Father. The righteous requirement of the law is a gift from Jesus that he unwrapped at the cross. And he said, this is what I've been saying all along. Be my sons and daughters. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he, he's bringing this thing back in. Wait, wait, wait a minute. There's actually an option here. There's actually a choice here that's important. So let's move on again. He, he goes a little deeper. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And here's our challenge. We want to grow. 
We want to be closer to God. We want to be better Christians. We, we, we want all the good stuff. How do we think we're going to get there? Is it by trying harder? Is it by being disciples of John? Because if we think that the basis of our Christianity is that we just need to try harder, we're living in the flesh. We're embracing our sinful nature in a sense. I can do this, I can do this, I can try. I'll just add more things to the list of things I'm supposed to do. I'll try harder. When we do that, we're focused on the flesh. We're focused on us being good enough. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You see, the first thing we need to do when we understand the gospel is admit we ain't got it. The whole idea of repentance is not just listing sins that we've done in the past, it's admitting we are not capable of achieving righteousness on our own. That's the essence of repentance. Yes, it's proven in our sin, but what we're saying is, I know I am not enough. I accept Jesus for being all that I need. And so we focus on the things of the Spirit. We stop thinking about the flesh and what it do and what it looks like and, and whether we're trying hard enough. We focus on the Spirit who points us towards Jesus, who wakes up God's love in us, who teaches us more about God's love, and we respond to it. We never earn it. We never maintain God's love. We, we just respond to it. And we keep our mind on the things of the Spirit. The Spirit interprets the Word for us. The Spirit teaches us how Jesus is fulfilled in all Scripture. The message of Jesus in the entire Scripture. We, so we're focused on the Word of the Spirit. We're focused on the fruit of the Spirit. We want God's character to grow in us. And again, we can't make it by trying harder. We just need to give up on trying and, and love God more and, and accept God's love more and allow Him to transform us. We look at the gifts of the Spirit. How, how does God want to equip me to show his love to others, to build people up, to help people grow, to help people move forward, to take the next step? How's God going to do that? Is he going to give me natural gifts or supernatural gifts? I don't know, but the Spirit is the one who's going to equip us so that we can point towards Jesus. Growth isn't trying harder. Growth is knowing God better and becoming more dependent on him. We follow God more purposefully. We don't go back to trying to please God in the flesh. No, we live in God's love, and we let that transform us. Carrying on then, Paul, he's starting to repeat himself a bit, but hey, so am I. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Life, life is growth, right? Things that are alive are growing. Life is what we were designed in the beginning to have. Communion with our Father, connection with our Father, spiritual life with our Father. Life, we, he wants us to get back to that. He wants to return us to the communion he had in the Garden of Eden before the fall. And peace. Remember the word in Paul's mind here is shalom reconciliation 
bringing things together. It's not just putting down your guns. It's reconciliation. It's recognizing that if the Spirit of God is in us and we're submitting to the Spirit, it should lead to peace in relationships. It should increase our love for others. And we need to look for those opportunities for life and shalom. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God. That's a bit of a slap in the face for me. Trying harder is offensive to God. Trying to be a good Christian on my own is hostile to God. God says you can't. 4,000 years proving that you can't. Why, why do you now here in Campbell River think somehow you can do better and, and be good enough? You can't. So to try harder is to be hostile to God. Hostile to the gospel. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. God's ultimate law is that he loves us and we need him. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Again, this is part of repentance, recognizing that trying harder is actually offensive to God because he says his love is infinite. Now, there's times when we're growing up when we want to please our parents, impress our parents, prove something to our parents. We want them to like us more. Or, and, and then we get to that point where we realize they can't love me more. I don't need to do things to make them love me more. They can't love me more. They're my parents. It's a maturing process when we finally, in a sense, have peace with our parents, when we, when we realize we're just love, that's all. And our attempts, you know, am I good enough, mommy, if I give this to you? Eventually those things sort of hurt mom's feelings because she, she loves you no matter what. And so it is in our walk with God. The only way to fully commune with God is just to fully accept his love. And anytime we step aside from that and start saying, look at me, I'm doing this for you, I'm good, look, I'm going to wash the car for you, he goes, oh, I love you. You can't make me love you more. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the good news for Apollos. Let's get back to Apollos. This is the turning point. This is what Priscilla and Aquila helped him understand. That even though he knew the law and taught the law, even though he understood the facts about Jesus, he had never really fully embraced the idea, you're loved. Jesus' death proves God's love for you. That's who you are. Knowing the truth, obeying the law, I mean, there's value in those things. But who you are, is a beloved child of God. So we go back to our statement, growing. We're committed to biblical teaching that builds community and transforms lives. We want to know that everything we do here has those elements. That it's all about spiritual Growth. Often when we think of church growth, we think of just increasing numbers, doing whatever it takes to get more people in the door. We're not talking about that. We're talking about creating a community and environment in which God is alive in us and looking for people that also want that. 
and inviting them to join us on the journey. There have been times when churches alive with God were very small, a handful of people here and there. In times, we you know there's thousands of people in the church sometimes that are all loving God and, and living in the Spirit. Size isn't the issue. Content, truth. And so biblical teaching, we want to make sure that we are following the Spirit. The Spirit's job, we're told, is to lead us to Jesus, help us understand Jesus, help us embrace more the gift of his love. That's biblical teaching. And the Bible is full of it all the way through, Genesis to Revelation. It's all about our relationship with God. Building community. Not just being a club of people who are like-minded. Not just being a bunch of people that gather together because they're bored. But a living body. The Bible describes the church as a body. A living organism. All different parts. All doing different things. Different strengths and different weaknesses. But that's okay. We're not drawn together because of our uniformity. Because we're all the same. We're drawn together because our differences match each other. And we grow, we grow as a body and transforming lives. Scripture is clear. What God is looking for is people who know they need him and want to be transformed into children of God, lovers of God. Transformed lives. Lives of joy. Lives that demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And so we stick to it, we resolve conflict, we grow toward maturity together. Turning on then back to Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Hmm. Again, it's not good enough just to follow his teaching, think he's a good guy, admire what he did, feel bad that they killed him. Our relationship with him is based on his Spirit in us changing us from the inside. Remember what the prophet said? Going right back to Moses, in the law it says you can't do this. You're going to fall over and over and over again. But the writings of Moses are full of pictures of the Messiah. And then the prophets came along and said, you're not obeying the law properly. Don't worry, God's going to do something in you. He's going to take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. He's going to write his law on your hearts and on your minds. God will change you from the inside. This is what the word of God has said all along. You can't change yourself adequately, but God will change you. Let him. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now let me give us a little warning here. This is not a verse that we use to judge anybody else. We don't look at other churches or through history and say they don't believe the same thing as we do about the Spirit, so they're not real Christians. That is not our job. I'm so glad that God is the judge and not me, because I would be terrible at it. This verse is written for me and for you. Are you following the Spirit? The best way God has taught you to. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Righteousness is God's character being lived out in you. But again, there's this choice, there's this duality. Do we want to lean on the flesh or do we want to lean on the spirit of God? We get the end of this section. And 
that's one of the things I admire about Paul, but one is just his overflowing joy. And so this last thing, I, I don't know exactly his situation when he wrote it, but I, he's repeated himself, and he's sort of built the idea, and he's getting excited. And I really think when he writes this last sentence, he's, he's rising out of his seat, and he's writing in bigger letters. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's no misunderstanding those verses. There's no way of saying that Paul is just giving us a new list of things to obey. There's no way of thinking that the Sermon on the Mount is now my Ten Commandments. There's no way of getting that when we see Paul just, yeah, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Can I get an amen? amen. We can't confuse this statement. We can't deny his excitement, but we, we, we can't walk away from this thinking, yeah, I need to try harder. No. We have to walk away from this saying, I need to know God more. I need to be more in tune with his spirit. I need to accept his love on purpose. I need to express his love on purpose. I need to be a child of my father. Oh, I love Paul. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Life is growth. Peace is reconnecting the broken things. Are we set on the spirit? Are we growing? Do we find the things in our lives broken by sin being woven back together by God, our healer? This is what we're called to. This is a good news that Apollos found when it says Priscilla and Aquila explained the way to him more accurately. He had all the facts. He just put them in the wrong order. We grow, but we allow God to grow in us. We choose. We choose not to lean on the flesh, but to lean on the spirit. I was going to have an illustration uh, taking us back to grade three science class. Remember the celery experiment? Celery, when you buy it in the store, it, it's dead. It's been cut off from its roots, and yet it's still trying to live. You take that celery, and you put it in water, and it will stay fresh. You take another piece of celery, not in water, and it'll wilt. So we know that the water is being absorbed. But here's the fun part that takes us back to grade three. If you put food coloring in the water, the celery will absorb that color. So if you put the celery piece in a cup of red water, the veins in the celery turn red and you get this red hue. If it's blue water, it soaks up the blue. It's staying alive because of the water, but the water is also transforming it. I actually played an experiment this week, but it, it was so small I didn't think anyone would see it except the front row, so I figured I wouldn't bother. I looked pictures online, but I couldn't find any that weren't copyright, so we're just going to talk about it. The celery remains alive and is transformed by the water. The beginning of our relationship with God is when we recognize that we're dead. We recognize that we cannot achieve godliness. What are we going to soak in then after that? Well, Paul is saying, soak in the spirits, soak in the truth of God, soak in the love of God, and that 
like the celery, will color you and transform you and make you different than you were. It will make you alive. It will make you alive. Let's go back to our statement then. This is one of the values that as a church we are striving for. We want to see this in all of our ministries. We're committed to biblical teaching that builds community and transforms lives. So, we're going to stick it out. We're going to resolve conflict. We're going to grow toward maturity together. It won't look the same in all of us, but we're all moving in the same direction. The Bible, biblical teaching, well, it points to Jesus. Community, we're a living organism, not just a club. And it transforms lives. So there's hard choices that the church and the church board are making about programs and ministries. And there's lots of good ideas of things that could keep us busy. But this is what we want to be the deciding point. Is this ministry going to lead to understanding God through, this, through the, his word? Is it going to lead to building us as a community? Is it going to transform our lives? Those are the things that we want to see flourish. Now, we've already talked a bit this morning about different ministries that are doing that, some great new ones that are coming online. I just want to point out again, just quickly, Freedom Session. It's, uh, it, it says it's a healing and discipleship ministry. Think of healing as growing. You know, you cut your finger and it heals. What's happening is it's all growing back to be the way it was supposed to be. Healing is growth. And this is an amazing ministry God's used to transform thousands and thousands of lives. It's a 12-step program, but it's all Bible-based. There's a video, and then there's a discussion group, and then there's some homework. But it, it takes you through the issues that you bring forward. Some of us, we've been with God for a long time, but there's still pain that we carry from childhood, or we're struggling with forgiving someone, or, or we're struggling with applying the Word of God in certain areas of our life. Or there may be serious addiction. All of these areas need growth, need healing. And so this is one ministry that helps us do it through discipleship, through building those relationships and communities. So again, just to let you know that's starting tomorrow night. Um, if you're not sure, there's, you still have a week or two to join, and then we sort of have a cutoff date. Talk to June in the foyer uh, tomorrow night at 7. If you just want to come and sit through the first session and see what we're doing, that's, that's allowed as well. 